Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Hold on, let me do my intro. So, thank you everybody for listening to Chaos Therapy. I'm Leighton Jordan, obviously, and today we have a very special guest. Um, I was made aware of this gentleman by his gracious fiance and his sister. I, sister, you guys are brother and sister? Daughters. Da- oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is one of my favorite people. I've known her for I want to say twenty plus years, and it's it's been a, a wild ride, and I'm I'm so glad to know her. But she introduced me to you because we're having a conversation about blues, and you, sir, I hear our next expertise about it. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor to be here, man. Uh, my name is Ben Solove, and yep, uh, Tiffany is my daughter, and you spoke with Rachel Grace, who is my beautiful fiance, and uh, for uh, I was born and raised here in Columbus, and uh, it's where I live now, but for the previous 10 years, uh, I lived in Key West, Florida, where I was, uh, among other things, a radio DJ, and I hosted my own uh, radio show called Blues Day Tuesday, uh, which is one of the shows I did. I'm a huge fan of the blues. My brother is an award-winning uh, barbecue pitmaster. And he and I went into business for a little while, opened a place called the Dirty Pig Blues and Barbecue. That's in- the most perfect. I hate to, but that's blues and barbecue go together greatly. Um, and that's, that's top five duos right there. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> proud to say uh, uh, my brother's still doing his thing. Um, Anyway, we, we had live blues music each and every single night there at the Dirty Pig. And uh, unfortunately, like a lot of other small businesses, this pandemic uh, hit us pretty hard. So we downsized and my uh, brother's still selling his award-winning barbecue out of the VFW there in Key West. So there's mm. a plug. If you go to Key West, anybody, uh, stop by the Dirty Pig Blues and Barbecue and get some award-winning barbecue. But uh, anyway, long story short, that's how I ended up back here in my hometown, Columbus, Ohio. It was uh, time for me to move on. Kind of expensive there in the Keys. So yeah. glad to be back and uh, waiting for this whole pandemic to blow over. There's a great blues scene here in Columbus. And uh, looking forward to getting Rachel introduced to a lot of the great blues artists here in Columbus. All right. Thank you for that. I will be completely transparent. I am... I wouldn't say I'm a blues enthusiast as so much as I am a conscientious fan. I gotcha. I was here's how I got into it. Um, my dad's from Mississippi, and if obviously you know anything about the blues, that's where it started. The home. Um, and I was watching this video. Like, there's this dude he does shows about states, and every show it used to be on the Travel Network or whatever. But I'm watching it, and it, he started talking about Mississippi. He started talking about the Delta, and he started talking about Robert Johnson, Honey Boy Edwards, like, like, uh, then he got up to Muddy Waters, like, he jumped a bit, but it, the, the gist was, hey, the blues started here, and yeah. I remember hearing this song called Long Time Killing Blues, and I shazammed it, and I found it, and I just was, and I just did this deep dive into so much of blues music and the history behind it, and the musicians, and I just fell in love with it. Like I, the soul of it, especially the Delta blues where it's still kind of acoustic. Now, right. what would you, what would you say was your, your brand of blues? Like, like everyone has like a, a, a part that they stick to. Oh man. I'm, you know, not stick to, I, I'll be just like, 
like my biggest influence, my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's I, I would agree with you. I, I love, love, love the Delta Blues. Uh, that's kind of where it all started. That's really I, if you boil down, I don't care what it is, uh, whether it's uh, country music, R&B, uh, rock and roll. It all started with the blues and it all started with the Delta Blues. And I love the Delta Blues. Uh, Rachel, who you spoke with, my fiance, is a uh, very talented singer, songwriter and uh blues guitar she plays with a cigar box it's a three-string oh. cigar box and slide and she plays what is my favorite which is just the dirty filthy nasty blues man and, and that all stemmed from the, the uh, delta blues there's a few more uh artists who have kind of taken that to another level uh luther allison immediately jump, jumps to mind okay. uh, i just love those kind of just dirty filthy blues where you know one or two um one or two chords and my spine tingles. And, and after the song, I feel like I need to take a shower. Um, I <laughs> love, I love that kind of stuff. And, and it goes back to, to guys like obviously Robert Johnson, but muddy waters, how yeah. and wolf, little Walter uh, just absolutely love that stuff. I do. I do like the modern blues and Texas blues and Mississippi you know, or Memphis blues, mm-hmm. but I, for certain, my favorite is definitely, um, you know, what started down there in the Delta and then, moved up to uh, Chicago with uh, Chess Records. Right. Um, and, and I would say the Chicago blues, as it's known today, is a little different than what that was, uh, the, the birth of the blues in Chicago, which was really the Delta blues moving up to Chicago. Right. A lot of the migration, um, if you look at a lot of migration patterns, that's where it happened. You have a lot of people coming up from like I think Memphis to St. Louis is pretty much lateral, but you have a lot of people coming up from Greenwood and from uh, Jackson and places like that going up towards Chicago. I have a lot of family in Chicago, uh, and you can hear it a lot in the accents of people from Chicago. And you ask where the family's from, they're usually going to say Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas. Correct. Now, uh, how did you get into like? Because that blues is not something that you you kind of just that's something you have to kind of look for. How did you wander upon it? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I I love music in general. I'm a I'm a classic rock guy. I'm a big Grateful Dead fan. I'm a Deadhead. I followed them around for a while, um, and I'm into the jam band music scene. But uh, you know, I just somewhere along the lines, I think as a kid growing up here in Columbus, Ohio, you know, I'm 49 years old. So uh, you know, I grew up listening to the mighty QFM 96 classic rock station. Uh, still going strong today. Um, and I, I think I remember hearing this fella on, on QFM 96 sometime in the 80s named Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, and I was like, wow, what is that? I need to know more about that. And, uh, and I had a background in, in, uh, as a music fan. I've always loved music. It's always spoke to me from the time I was a little child. Um, but I really started in the in my early teens kind of diving deep into music and it was more so the rock and roll at the time. Uh, the police was a big band of mine, big favorite, but uh, you know, I, I started diving into different kinds of blues or different kinds of music and it led me naturally, like I'd mentioned earlier to the blues. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a rock fan, you're, you're going to, and you, and you dive into it and you become passionate about music. Like I am, you're going to find your way into the blues. Um, and that's just the way it is, man. The blues had a baby and they called it rock and roll, you know? True. And, uh, and so I think it was probably Stevie Ray Vaughan. I, I would have to give him credit for getting me interested 
into diving into the blues and uh man i'm grateful for that okay i can understand that now for me it it was easier to find a lot of the blues music because of spotify and so much of the music is now digital as opposed i'm sure when you're finding it you actually had to go legit find it you had to find someone dad who had an old record dust it off and hope that it wouldn't work so yes do you see the do you see blues uh appreciation becoming more and more because of the digital age wow that's another great question you know i think it's uh i think the answer is yes and no um Yes, because like you mentioned, it's so much easier to find it. And if you're somebody who's into the blues like myself or somebody like you who uh, uh, learned, you know, heard about it and wanted to learn more about it, it's a lot easier um, with technology today to go and find that kind of stuff. That being said, um, unfortunately, blues is not mainstream music anymore. Um mm-hmm. I mean, there are some great blues artists out there today. Um, Samantha Fish, uh, Kingfish Ingram, if you haven't checked him out, amazing. He, I saw him open for Buddy Guy in Fort Lauderdale. This guy oh, wow. is old school Memphis or old school Mississippi blues. He was born down there in the Delta. You should check him out. He's unbelievable. Just turned 21, I believe. Um, okay. Kingfish Ingram. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know – Household names, there's you know, BB King, Stevie Ray, Vaughn, Buddy Guy, they're household names, but the artists today aren't necessarily household names. And unfortunately, I think that hurts blues, the blues genre, uh, as far as popularity. Obviously, you have pop music with, uh, you know, pop rock, and, and the hip hop scene is big nowadays, and even rock and roll. You know, everybody knows the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you just don't catch a whole lot of mainstream blues, even even less now than it was when, you know, when I was coming up in the 80s and 90s, when guys like Stevie Ray Vaughan were mainstream, or Johnny Lang, who, by the way, turned 40 years old today. Oh, okay. I remember him. I yeah. remember. Here's why. I hate to get you off. So back in the Disney Channel, used to, like, break artists. Like, I remember in Sinking, Broken, Backstreet Boys, Christina Aguilera, all that. Like, back, me and Tiff could probably remember this. Sure. I remember Johnny Lang was one of the people that they had on their like Saturday showcase. And my dad was like, who's this white boy singing the blues? I was like, apparently Disney likes him. And yeah, I remember watching that concert, not thinking much of it. I want to say it was either between 98 and 2000. I can't, I can't really place the year, but I remember, remember hearing the name Johnny Lang. Yeah. Sure. He, uh, his big uh, radio hit was Lie to Me. And that was also the the title of his debut album. Um, and I, gosh, I, it, without looking it up, I, I would say it came out in the early '90s, perhaps late '80s, but early '90s, mm-hmm. early '90s. And um, it, it went platinum eventually. And when he released it, here's a little. This is how much I love the blues. I dive into it. He released it the day before he turned 16 years old. A platinum album which always blows my mind because at 16, I was just trying to pass geometry and maybe get the second base with, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, but, but after guys like him and Kenny Wayne Shepard and Steve Ray Vaughn, um, 
you know, unfortunately, blues has gone to the to the wayside. You have to be a blues fan to really search it out. You're not just you're just not going to hear uh, contemporary blues artists on the radio or even see them, you know, promoting stuff on TV, whatever. It's just for some reason, it's just not the hip thing anymore, I suppose. I I think just with guitar music not being as popular as it used to be. Correct. Um, and it's very niche. I think there was a huge uptick around the late aughts, like I want to say 08 to like 2011, 12, mm-hmm. like the hipster movement to where everyone was just kind of finding old music just to find it. And you kind of gain an appreciation for it. I think folk scene saw an uptick too. I think with blues, you have to you have to have a soul of a certain wavelength to get it. Sure. You know, you have to kind of be in a mode to really understand it because a lot of it, even if it's not that deep, sexy stuff, it's a lot of pain. Sure. And these guys went through a lot of pain, like the prison stints, the knife fights, the, the juke joints, the drinking, like it, they, when people talk about that rock star lifestyle, Blues artists lived that rock star lifestyle from jump. Like that was chasing women and getting drunk. That's it. Yep. And and being uh being shunned, mostly for being, you know, black people. And Mm -hmm. and they they could transform that that pain, like you said, into music. And that's the beautiful thing about the blues is no matter where you come from. Um, you know, white, black, yellow, green, purple, you know, wealthy, poor, whatever, everybody's experienced pain. Everybody's experienced something that 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 strikes them and and, and hurts. And so I think everybody can identify uh with the blues. Um, but not everybody has lived it, like you said, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly some people have, that I know have, but uh you know, those guys, they, they lived it all their lives. Some of those guys, uh, you know, they they went to their grave with no money, you know. Yeah. These huge hits, you know. Some of these great, great blues artists uh, weren't really recognized until, uh, you know, after they were gone. Uh, and that's a sad thing. And uh, so that's, that's one of the reasons I really love doing that Blues Day Tuesday radio show is to at least – to a, a, some degree, bring it back to the mainstream. I had a, a fairly decent uh, listening audience, and to be able to bring that back and and pay tribute to some of those great artists who deserve it. Now, the when I think of the Keys, I lived in Orlando for just a. I I like Florida. Florida's dope, but the Keys just seem so much different than any other place. How'd you mm-hmm. end up there? Okay, well that's a good question, and you're right. It's totally different. Uh, off and on for 10 years up here in uh, Columbus, Ohio, I, I was uh, dating a, a woman uh, whose parents uh, lived in the Key, still live in Key West. And uh, back in, gosh, when did I move there? Anyway, 10 years ago or so, uh, we were sitting in our apartment in about this time of the year, January, February. And she said, uh, hey, uh, what do you think about moving down to Key West? And I said, I'll start packing now, man. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, uh, so up, up, we uprooted and went down there. And, uh, you know, 
Orlando, Rachel's got family in Orlando. I've spent some time there. Orlando's cool. Florida is cool, but they're, the Florida Keys are a completely different animal. It's such a cool, laid back, uh, party, weird place. And uh, a guy like me, who I, I've worked uh, until just a couple weeks ago, 31 years in the restaurant business. And uh, I was able to get down there and work in the restaurant business. And one thing led to another. I started booking music at a restaurant and got involved in the music scene down there. And a guy like me was able to become a, a, a local celebrity and a, and a radio host and a, and a music promoter and, and own my own club. And, uh, you know, that's I pay tribute to the Florida Keys being the Florida Keys, uh, small, close knit community of weirdness where you're you're encouraged to to be yourself and be your artist and be your your weird person and, and pursue whatever it is you want to pursue and and those people down there get behind you and it's pretty amazing I, you know the one thing i do miss most about that is or most about the keys aside from the weather right now is uh just that kind of i don't even know how to describe it community? it's just yeah it's a great community Key West, the, the the city motto is one human family, and uh, th they don't care if you're uh, gay, straight, black, white, uh, you know, whatever. It, as long as you're a good person, um, it's so diverse and so fun, and, and they're going to encourage you and get behind you and help you out any way they can to achieve your dreams. So that's that's my story. I've seen the pictures of Fantasy Fest, and I can agree. Uh, Key West <laughs> seems way cooler than everywhere else especially when you contrast it to Miami or just uh, west southwestern Florida. Um, I've always thought, like, there's a difference between a southern town and a beach town and a southern beach town. And there's such sure. a different vibe because, like, you really – you work hard to not have to work for the rest of the day. Like, it's 80, 80 degrees outside. There's fish to eat. I do. Mm. Hey, I'm I'm here till five thirty. Do not talk to me after that because I'm out. Like, no, I'm not doing overtime. I'll see you later. I, I've I've always dug that vibe about that particular uh, area. Now, now you said you played blues. Like, now what are some of the man? How do I pose this? Who are some of the artists that you were you were surprised that you were able to book? Like, just give me about three off top. Oh, okay. I, at my. Uh at my restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, I'll tell you one who is a, a dear, dear friend of mine and became a dear friend of mine because of the music scene in Key West. Uh, Key West, of course, is an attractive place for uh, touring artists. Mm -hmm. And uh, although you're never going to get a big crowd and you're never going to get the stones down there, uh, you get some pretty cool people there. There's a gentleman by the name. And if you don't know this guy, you got to look him up. Mm -hmm. His name, his name is Biscuit Miller his band Biscuit Miller in the mix and uh, Biscuit is a two-time blues music award winner, bass player of the year. Um, and his band uh, consists of a, a two lead guitar players, one older gentleman. These guys are all from Chicago originally. And mm -hmm. uh, one older gentleman, Bobby Wilson, who's in his sixties is just one of the smoothest lead guitar players with a voice like butter. Uh, Biscuit sings as well. Uh, they have Dr. Love, another older uh, black gentleman. All three of them are black guys. Uh, he plays the drums. And then they got this skinny, young white boy named Alex Southside Smith on the other lead guitar. 
and he is a monster, monster guitar player. Uh, and, and because I've met Biscuit a number of times when he came down, he'd been on my radio show. Uh, he came and played at the Dirty Pig as well. Uh, there's another great band uh, out of Akron, Ohio, called Highway 61, and they tour um, all over the place, and they come down to the Keys and also played my bar. Uh, Bob Moffler is their lead singer and plays harmonica, sponsored by Seidel Harmonica, and Mike Lenz is his lead guitar player, and I have never, ever met anybody who is a better student of the blues than Mike Lenz. This guy is a, a monster guitar player. He sings the way that the old blues guys did. Um, in fact, uh, the band, the, the Black Eyed Peas from mm -hmm. up there in, in Akron, uh, he taught their guitar player how to play guitar. Black Keys, but, um, Black Keys. Black Keys, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Black Keys. Um, and uh, yeah, so Mike Lenz is, is a monster and he played down there at the Dirty Pig. Uh, lots of great local talent down there. There's a gentleman born and raised in Key West named Caffeine Carl Wagner. And Caffeine Carl is in his 50s. And I'm telling you, I have seen a who's who of rock and roll and blues live in my lifetime. And this guy is as good a guitar player as anybody. And I'll say that anybody I've ever seen. Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, David Gilmore, Warren Haynes, Caffeine Carl Wagner. Unbelievable. That that is a pretty good list. I think with the blues and just having a scene around it, you foster it. Because if you think about it, a lot of these great blues musicians kind of lived in the same area. And a lot of them, even if you go back to Delta Blues, they, they knew each other. They crossed paths fairly regularly. Uh, do you think Key West having that scene that you clearly helped foster do you think the scene has gotten better because of that community? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the greatest blues community, or one of the greatest, not just blues, uh, music, mm -hmm. live music communities in America. Uh, my goal as a music promoter down there, uh, a venue owner and a radio jock, was to put Key West on the map. And I like to think that I helped do that. Uh, it. I had a promotion company down there called second to none promotions. And that's not me patting myself on the back. Uh, that was me. Um, I took that from what I said on the radio. I used to play a lot of local music and mm -hmm. I would talk about the Key West scene and, and say that it was second to none. Uh, and I mean that you know, second it's plays second fiddle to, it does not play second fiddle to anybody, not Nashville, not Austin, not new Orleans. Uh, the music scene, there are 600 and something live gig opportunities in Key West, a two-by-four-mile island. That's a lot. Throughout wow. a week. It's amazing. And so if you're if you're a average to good musician, you can literally make a living just playing music down in Key West. And, and for a guy who loves music as much as I do, it was heaven on earth. I think with scene building, creating a community, it's so important because you get a lot of authentic, you get a lot of authentic, you know, you get a lot of people who really care about it because they're in a, in an area where people care about it. Like live music is something that I've always, that takes a certain set of balls to get out there. There's a lot sure of people can play in the studio, but right. you put somebody with a mic in their hand and put them in front of a stage, no matter it's 
one person or 3,000 or 200, that's when you really see. And I think when that's when you see a lot of good music moments, Um, you you know, they're playing and they get in that zone and then they just kind of take off like that. That is has to be one of the most uh, encapsulating things to see an artist that you really want to see just getting in a zone and just go off. And and the really, really good ones, uh, when you are one of those members of the audience and you're you're feeling that vibe, can just take the vibe they're feeling and hand it to the audience. And it's it's uncanny. Uh, there are uh, several of them that I, I've known personally. One gentleman who, who left Key West and lives in New Orleans now, uh, but still comes to Key West, a guy named Jeff Clark, not a blues musician, although he can certainly play the blues. Um, it, I've never, I, I told him this, I did a write up on him in Key West and he just has this uncanny ability to take that vibe that he's feeling on the stage in front of a crowd that he's feeling from the crowd and giving it right back to the crowd. And, and it's uh man, it, there, there's no other feeling like it. It's just absolutely amazing. And, and you're absolutely right. It, it's a, takes it's a different monster from playing in studio where you can say, ah, that didn't work. Let's run that back and do it again. You got one shot, you're on the stage, and, and you've got a, a captive audience, whether it's five people or 5,000 people. Um, one of the cool things I did down there that I was probably most proud of, um, every year they have the Songwriters Festival down there, and what it is is a bunch of uh, the songwriters from the Nashville area come down, mm-hmm. and it's a huge, 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 huge week down there. 60,000 people come down for the week. Oh, wow. And, uh, there's a, a, a local resort down there, and the gentleman who manages and runs it's a guy named Roger Levering. And he reached out to me, and he said, hey, dude, he's like, you know, we've been doing the songwriter thing for years, and um, it, it starts on Wednesday and goes through the weekend, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He said, look, I've got a stage set up already. Why don't we do Monday and Tuesday where we feature our local songwriters? And, uh, you know, because they kind of get – shoved to the side that week and we have so many great ones and you're the guy to put this this thing together so i put together what i called the song smiths of key west and it was a a two-day music festival featuring all local artists where they were encouraged in fact almost i almost demanded that they play original music mm-hmm. um and it was so so cool it's such a rewarding thing to put together and so much fun to do and uh, uh rachel played at it as a matter of fact but it was a who's who of uh, Key West musicians up there performing their music instead of playing Brown Eyed Girl, mm-hmm. and you know for for the tourists, which is fine. That's how they make a living. But they were able to perform their music, and you know I just kind of always figured people write music so they can share that with others, and so that's what you know they want to do. And, and they were very very grateful that I put this thing together, and it was so rewarding for me. It was a lot of fun to do, and and a lot of fun to, to witness. Now, with local artists, now, was it, how how quick did you put that together? That's what I'm, I'm baffled. Like, that that seems like it must have took a while. You know, he reached out to me maybe a month, month and a half before the event. And uh, one thing I'm, I am, I look, if I could sing, I'd be fronting a band. If I, if I had music talent, I'd be playing guitar. I, I don't have that gift. Some people have that gift. I have certain gifts, and one of them is I can vision um, an event 
you know, this is what made me a, a pretty good promoter. I can envision what I want to do and just kind of make it happen. And it just seems to fall together for me. Um, you know, I just can see this is how the way I did this particular event, there were um, there was a side stage and a main stage and both Monday and Tuesday, same format. Um, I paired up local musicians in 45 minute sets and uh, would have, you know, Rachel and a guy named, she played with a guy named Eric Paul Levy from mm -hmm. Philadelphia who lives in Key West and they did their original stuff and so on and so forth. And I had six or seven sets of, of duos. And then at the end of each night on the main stage, I put um, on Monday night, it was the Andy Westcott band, a full four, four piece band on the main stage. And this guy's another, I call him the total package, just great singer, songwriter and world-class guitar player. Mm. And then the following night, was a band called the happy dog. Uh, and they're our local, uh, jam band, just a phenomenal Jesse Wagner, the lead guitar player and singer, uh, is he just channels Jerry Garcia. It's unbelievable. But, um, that's how I, I envisioned it. And I just laid it out and I had, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my friend, Tony Baltimore, who is a very talented singer, songwriter and guitar player down there as well. Very popular. He helped me kind of put it together. He helped, uh, with stage management and sound and all that. So I don't know. I just see it and make it happen. Okay. Uh, what was some of your favorite performances from that? For sure. Uh, what would have been, um, the two main events there are the mm. two main, you know, the Monday night, and Tuesday night, uh, Tony Baltimore played along with Jesse Wagner, the, the lead guitar mm. player and singer from The Happy Dog. I had them do duos where they did original stuff, and it was just Tony's put out three or four albums in the time that I was down there and, and gets a lot of radio play down there and is, is loved. So that was kind of cool. And Jesse, who essentially plays covers with this jam band, is just a, a exceptional songwriter. And for some reason... He just doesn't really like to play his original music all that often with the band. So to force him to do so uh, with Tony was really, really cool. Of course, I, Rachel and I had been together uh, maybe a year when, when I put this together. And so having her get up there and um, it had been years since she'd really performed in front of uh, Key West Crowd, her original music, because she, she because of motherhood and some other things. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of the for her jumpstart back into the music scene there in Key West, which was cool. Uh, a fellow by the name of Tony Roberts, who's a very, very, very popular guy down there. Kind of this hip island vibe that he has, almost reggae. Um, great inspirational singer-songwriter, and that was cool. Um, another guy that I, I forgot to mention that I have play at my bar every Sunday for a number of years, two guys that played together gentleman by the name of bill blue who's 73 years old mm -hmm. um and is one of the finest slide guitarists on planet earth he moved from uh, richmond virginia to key west florida in the early 80s and he's been down there ever since and um is an absolute gem his his albums have been huge especially over in europe they absolutely love him. um and he would play with a guy named larry bader out of kansas city missouri who started playing professionally at 14 years old. Larry's in his sixties. Now Larry toured for years with Bo Diddley. Um, oh, wait a minute. Really? Yeah. Yep. Larry Bader. Okay. He was his second fiddle. And, um, he, so Larry and, and Bill played every Sunday night 
for the first year that we were open at the Dirty Pig. And that was a real honor to local cats who have had pretty big success on the uh, international level. So that was really cool, too. That's that's really insane, dude, because Bo Diddley's and like I said, he's just the the like the one of the birth like one of the forefathers of rock and roll. And I think a lot of people overlook it um, and overlook the impact that blues had on all music. Because when they're talking about hip hop and samples, where they're just talking about people who take chords, especially if we're talking about um, what's that? Oh my God, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And being just influenced by blues. Now, with with the scene that you were trying to build, what were some of the pitfalls that you that now was there a, a blue scene already in Key West or did you kind of have to build it up yourself? There was Larry Bader, Bill Blue were down there, Caffeine Carl, three monster guitar players. Um, and so, okay, what I've been told by many of the musicians down there who give me some credit for helping build a music in general music community down there is that it was a lot of kind of competition when mm-hmm. I first got down there. Everybody was fighting for gigs and trying to get the, the hot spot, the green parrot, the smoking tuna, uh, you know, all the, the big spots that to play down there, Willie T's. Um, and I started going out and, and getting to know all these musicians and getting involved in the music scene and then getting, putting on events and stuff. And I helped from what they tell me, and it's true, I helped kind of unify the music scene down there. So the challenge at first was egos. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say this, and, and uh, you know, I'm grateful. She's heard me say it, but I'm grateful Rachel's not here at the moment. But um, look, my, my fiance is a musician. Most of my dear friends nowadays are musicians, but every musician is a prima donna to one extent or another. You know, you have to be, you've got Mm -hmm. to be, you know, and and so there's egos and and to kind of help them put those aside. And, and not that I put together necessarily bands, but Mm -hmm. I saw bands form uh, between musicians that might not have played together. Had it not been for me kind of uh, encouraging all of them to do what they do and to come out, Hey, come check out this, these guys, come check out these guys and kind of get them together. Um, some of the biggest challenges were, uh, you know, fi- finding, finding the right venues for the right people. Yeah. That can actually do a lot. Uh, as far as scene building, because not everybody is built for those big venues. Right. And, you, and taking somebody, it also depends on the venue. Um, you've got in Key West, along Duval Street, the main drag, and the big main bars like uh, Irish Kevin's and Sloppy Joe's. Um, those are tourist spots, you know, Captain mm-hmm. Tony's. Every tourist that comes down there wants to go to Irish Kevin's, Captain Tony's, and Sloppy Joe's. And mm-hmm. when tourists go to Key West, and this isn't a knock on them, although, you know, in the locally we all kind of snicker and laugh and 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 kind of poke fun at it but um you know they want to hear wagon wheel and brown eyed girl and and you know all those songs and jimmy buffett tunes 
And Jimmy Buffett and Key West is kind of synonymous. Right. You know, and I, <laughs> I've met him a number of times and what a great, great guy. Super, super nice guy. How's but, the cheeseburgers? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love cheeseburgers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so if you're getting your, your different artists in different venues, you know, if they're playing at, at Irish Kevin's, then that's what they have to play. Um, and I booked for various venues and there were other cool venues, like a little off the, the main beaten path place called uh, Mellow Ventures, which was a really cool little hip place. Uh, it was a gastro pub and they had a nice deck with the right on the water where they had live music. And we, we put on a reggae night every Sunday there, for instance, or I could get a guy like that Jeff Clark that I was telling you about to do his own kind of Jeff Clark vibe thing there that went well there, but not necessarily at Irish Kevin's, you know, because Jeff's just not the kind of guy that's going to play brown eyed girl. He's just not, that's not, he wants to play his stuff. And so if you got him into some of the more local frequent frequented um, venues, then you could, you could make that happen. And, and I always encouraged them to do their original stuff. Um, regardless of where I was booking them. You know, I said, you know, play the brown eyed girl, but, you know, get the feel for your audience when they're paying attention and they're enjoying you. Say, hey, I want to play one of my songs for you and get it out there. So that was a challenge. I get that. So you earlier said you were also in the barbecue industry. Now, that is something I'm also a fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, which region would you say your barbecue is more based out of? My brother is the pit master. My brother's name is Dan. Uh, he graduated from DeVry here in Columbus and worked for uh, Intel Corporation in Phoenix, Arizona for 18 years. But in the meantime, he's a big science dork, right? So in the meantime, he uh, picked up this hobby 15, 16 years ago of smoking meat, and, uh, which, which combines his love of cooking and his love of science because barbecue is, in fact, a science. And sure. um, Absolutely. And so he perfected it and said to me, he came and visited a number of times and he said, Hey, what do you think about me moving to the family there? And you and I opening up a blues and barbecue joint. And I said, I'm all in. So he came and, and so his, he wanted to kind of give a little bit of everything. My, my brother has his own dry rub and oh, um, that's he's serious, serious, real dry serious. rub. I'm telling you, this is award-winning stuff, award-winning Ooh, stuff. Lately. A good and, dry rub is, is hard to find. Yeah, and he's got so he's got it, and it's top secret, of course, like any great pit master. But uh, we got this big smoker called we called her Sweet Melissa, and she was she was uh, over two tons, and with about 150 square foot of smoking capacity in her, and um, so he did Memphis style dry rub ribs. Mm. Um, his brisket and smoked turkey were kind of the Texas style, just uh, salt and pepper rub mm-hmm. right in the smoker. Um, he, yeah, hickory wood, strictly hickory. That's all okay. he used. And uh, yeah, pork tenderloin. And uh, of course, the brisket was unbelievable. The smoked turkey, the ribs, uh, collard greens, his baked potatoes, he smoked, or, or I'm sorry, baked beans, he smokes. Uh, and oh, they are phenomenal. Yeah, man. Smoke baked oh. beans. He does uh, smoke. He did smoke chicken wings, which were phenomenal. Um, I bet they were. Yeah, but he's got he covers all the bases, a little bit of Memphis, a little bit of Kansas City, a little bit of Texas. And he made uh, 
four of his very own signature sauces makes. I, I, I shouldn't say made. He still makes four of his own signature sauces. And, um, yeah, his food is just unbelievable. We, we were very proud. In Key West, they have these things called the Bubba Awards. It's the, the local awards down there, and they give out 70 of them, you know, like mm. best Cuban coffee, best realtor, best dry cleaner, you know, whatever. And um, there was a, a, uh, another place down there that had won uh, five straight Bubba Awards for best barbecue. And uh, the Dirty Pig's been around now for just over two years and has won for two years straight the Bob Award for Best Barbecue in Key West. Nice. So he, he dethroned the reigning five-time champion and is now the reigning two-time champion. I can, I can understand. I can dig that. I, I've had, like I said, having um, family from that region and just uh, having appreciation for barbecue and, and smoked meats. Uh, brisket is one of my favorites because I've had it so few times. So when I get a chance to get a hold of it, awesome. Because most of I'm most of the barbecues I've had have been pork ribs, chicken, stuff like that. But if yeah, so I definitely we definitely got to get in touch because I definitely want to try some of those sauces. Um, back to Busan. How did you get into radio? That's a cool, uh, cool story in and of itself. I I moved down there and immediately got a job at a very famous resort or uh, restaurant, I'm sorry, down there called the Hogfish Bar and Grill owned by Bobby and Michelle Mongelli. Great, great restaurant tours. They own three different restaurants down there. Um, and one of my jobs as I, I went down there with a, a resume a mile long for restaurant experience, as I'd mentioned earlier, and Bobby hired me right, right away. And one of my jobs was to book the music there Thursday, Friday and Saturday uh, which was interesting because I, I'd been there a week. I didn't know any <laughs> musicians. He gave me here's some of the people who play here now. Start there and 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 have at it. So that's how I got into the music scene. Now, uh, one of the local radio stations down there, a station called 104.9 DX FM, uh, reached out to me and wanted to come do a radio show live at the restaurant on a Saturday afternoon to promote the restaurant and and uh, and do their thing. And I said, sure, come on out. So they had me sit in and uh, it was a lot of fun. And we got talking about music and food and, and um, you know, they could see my passion for music. So I also have an entire grateful dead tattoo sleeve on my right arm. And so uh, one of the jocks said, Hey, you know, we ought to do a grateful dead themed radio show together. And I said, I would love to do that. Right. And he said, it's a, it's a four hour show, eight to midnight. We could do it on Monday nights. And I said, well, listen, you know, you wouldn't have to convince me to listen to four hours of Grateful Dead. Yeah, but like, not, don't threaten me with a good time. But not everyone, well, not everybody loves the Grateful Dead that much. I said, but, mm -hmm. but the, uh, the thing about the Grateful Dead was their live performances. You know, mm. you, that, that was the thing about them. And so why don't we do a show? This is my vision kicking in. Why don't we do a show where we feature all live recorded music so all concert footage if you will and uh with a heavy dose of the grateful dead and we'll call it the live and dead show and oh so that's how we started and nice. i did that for, for a number of years but i was always uh, yeah at the time i had become a huge blues fan and so i kept mentioning to this radio this this fellow dj his name is gary that i had an idea for another show so the, the program director came down and 
uh, from New Orleans. And um, his name's Dave Jackson, great guy. And he said, um, Ben, I love the Live and Dead show. It's a great idea. I absolutely love it. And Gary tells me you have an idea for another radio show. And I said, I do. I said, my other day off from the restaurant business is Tuesdays. And I would love to do a show called Blues Day Tuesday, where I feature all blues. And he said, go for it. And so one thing led to another. Before you knew it, I was working part-time in the restaurant uh, and doing full-time radio. I was doing the happy hour show from 4 to 7, Monday through Friday on that station. And then Monday and Tuesday nights, I was doing my the Live and Dead show Monday, the Blues Day Tuesday on Tuesday. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up being a – a sidekick on a much bigger radio station down there called uh, Whale, W-A-I-L, 99.5 FM, with a legendary South Florida DJ named Bill Hobie on the Hobie in the Afternoon Experiment. And uh, I was a side guy on the show with him, and it was an absolute blast. And uh, I sure miss doing radio. So Now, did you have – now, obviously, during the heavy tour songs, or during, were you a DJ during the – songwriters uh conventions when you when they're there sure i've had uh multiple songwriters on uh to interview uh in fact i'm trying to remember her name oh and i have the book somewhere oh man anyway uh merle haggard's wife widow wrote a book about him and she came on the show and I have the book somewhere. I'm you looking at Merle Haggard's white. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. She came on the show and talked to me about um, what it was like being Merle Haggard's wife and being around, uh, you know, Waylon Jennings and Willie, Willie Nelson and uh, right. you know, all those cats. And uh, she wrote a book and I, I've got, I'm, Rachel drives Rachel nuts. I have so many books, so I, I can't find it off the top of my head right now. But yeah, um, that was a cool experience. Um, I, I spoke with uh, the late great Eddie Money um, oh, on, my, on my radio show. One paradise. Yeah, that's the guy. I remember that one song. I used to watch a lot of VH1 as a kid. So mm-hmm. I, these I, the people you're bringing up, I've, I've seen their behind the musics. Sure. Um, okay, what was he like? Super hysterical. So I, I've got a, a couple of Eddie Money stories. Uh, one, one, I was doing my happy hour show, and a fellow who used to promote for him, a guy named John Anderson, anyway, was in town with his wife, and he happened to be hanging out at that place, the Mellow Venture, like the, the place, the gastro pub I told you about. And mm-hmm. I was doing my radio show there like every Wednesday afternoon, four to seven. And he happened to pop in, and he introduced himself, and he said he was one of Eddie Money's promoters. And, uh, you know, it, it's Key West. You get a lot of people talking trash. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. So he's sitting there as I'm doing my show. And he walks over to me at one point and he says, here. And he hands me his phone. And I said, hello? And he said, I hear a voice. Hey, Ben. I see. Yeah, he goes, hey, this is Eddie Money. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I hear you play my music on your radio show. And so I started talking to him. And he sent me a, a new song that he'd written at the time. And it was about uh, recovery. He'd gotten sober. Good. And um, that was really cool. And I've been sober now almost 14 years myself. And so we connected there. So fast forward a couple years. And Eddie Money is booked at uh, our brand new amphitheater in Key West that holds mm. about 3,000 people. He's the first major gig we have there. And it's a New Year's Eve gig. 
and Ooh. I am part of that Hobie in the Afternoon experiment show. And um, so I have backstage access, right? So I'm backstage with Hobie and Eddie Money, and uh, he's wearing a tux. And there's almost nobody else backstage at the time. This is in the, the late afternoon before the show in the evening. We're just kind of hanging out. And he has his own little RV back there, but he has his own little portage on. And he, that was one of the things that he had to have, his own little portage on. Makes so sense. he gets up to go use the portage on, right? And Hobie and I are just sitting there. And in walks this, this uh, kid, this young kid. And um, he's just kind of wandering around backstage. I just figured he was part of the stage, you know, somebody – in the stage cruise kid or you know maybe in the band and he walks over to the portage on and opens it up and there sits eddie money with his pants down around his ankles <laughs> sitting on the toilet, right and he says hey what the f kid i'm trying to take a dump here <laughs> this is the funniest thing uh one of the funniest things i've ever seen it was hysterical he was a, a former um new york city police officer before he made it big with music and uh, okay, so he kind of had that New York attitude and vibe, but super, super nice guy. Put on a great show with his with his band, and I'll never forget the look on his face. Oh my goodness, that was hysterical. Now you said you were a deadhead, and one thing I've always heard about dead is like there's people who follow the dead on tour. Mm-hmm. What is have you done that, and what is the the what is the the inspiration to do that? To just go from city to city, listening to the dead play. I'm guessing a lot of the same songs they played before. But what what is that about? Like, what is the draw to that? Cool. All right. Well, gosh, we could do an entire podcast on this, Leighton, and I'd love to sometime. But I'll sum it up for you. Um, the Grateful Dead. There's never been a band like them. Uh, they played. I don't even know the number of shows, thousands of shows over the last 50 years, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jerry Garcia died in 1995, but the Grateful Dead as an entity have continued on. John Mayer is their lead guitar player now with Bob Weir and, and other members of the Dead. But anyway, they never, ever, and all the shows they played, thousands of shows, never played the same set list. Never, never. Oh. They they have a, a library of music, uh originals and covers that span hundreds and probably a thousand songs, maybe more. Um, So here's the thing. And and there's nothing like a dead show. You show up to a dead show. Let's say Buckeye Lake out here Mm -hmm. in, in Hebron, Ohio is one of my favorite venues. Um, Yeah. Right out there. Well, the legend Valley is where they they play out there. The amphitheater. And and it holds probably, I don't know, 70,000 people inside of it but it's a big, massive area and huge parking lot. So you show up there at noon for a show that starts at seven and you hang out in the parking lot and all the vendors set up in one uh, strip throughout the parking lot. And they call that Shakedown Street, which is a a name of one of their songs, super funky song. Check it out. Shakedown Street. But uh, and, and you walk up and down and there's, of course, the whole hippie vibe and the uh, peace, love, and happiness, and of course the drug scene and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's there's nothing like it. And then you hop in your car and you head over. You know they're, they're leaving Columbus and they're going to play two nights in uh, Chicago. So you drive to Chicago and you see them at Soldier Field. And then we pack up and we head to St. Louis because they're playing there. And uh, there's nothing quite like it. In fact, Tiffany. So I married Tiffany's mom. 
mm-hmm. back in 1995. And uh, although her mom and I are no longer married, we're buds, mm-hmm. um, I was always dad to Tiffany. So gotcha. I, I still am. And that's how – and you should ask her sometime uh, when you have a chance, ask her about going to Three Rivers Stadium with us to see the Grateful Dead when she was like – Gosh, 1995. She was like 10, eight. 11 years old. Eight. Yeah. We were eight. Eight. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's right. Crazy. She was born in 80, 87, 86, 87. Awesome. Yeah. Probably nine. Yeah. Yeah. Ask her, ask her about going to Three River Stadium to see the Grateful Dead with uh, me and her mom. Uh, it was quite quite an experience for her i know that and it was it was an incredible thing but yeah that's just kind of what they they still do it man that when dead and company which is the the, the band now which mm-hmm. features three of the original members bob weir the the rhythm guitarist and singer mm-hmm. uh songwriter and uh both drummers billy kreutzman and mickey hart and then oteal burbage on bass from the allman brothers band he's phenomenal and uh john the great john mayer on lead guitar and vocals as well they do the same thing they tour they do a spring summer and fall tour and people just follow them from city to city to city you can literally if you find a, a good enough uh shtick you could literally uh just live on tour making money whether you're selling grilled cheese or t-shirts or uh illegal stuff whatever you know i feel people like make, that's what a lot of people do um some of them do some of them but you get a lot of legit you know people selling you know, T-shirts or their artwork or oh, that's jewelry what I mean. or whatever. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I think with uh, if you're bringing up like with Grateful Dead, like they're obviously Derek Garcia, rest in peace. Um, he's gone, but and they have John Mayer, and they continued on. There's this, you've heard of Sublime, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. They came back together, uh, and they're now called Sublime with Rome. They have mm-hmm. uh, a new singer, and they're actually pretty good. Um, sure. I've seen like a couple of videos of their live shows and everything, and it's it's a different vibe, but it's still pretty good. Like he's a pretty good singer. I mean, nothing's going to take. I mean, you know, change Brad, but right. he's pretty comparable. So yeah, just that made me think of that. Right, and it's yeah. the same kind of vibe. And actually, there's a great uh, Sublime uh, cover band used to come to Key West all the time called Bad Fish, and they were fantastic. They played the same venue where I put on that song Smith with Key West, actually. So. But yeah, it's it's you know when you have a good vibe and a good following, um, you can kind of continue on with that. You know, it is, and it it's you 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 have these legendary and culture setting uh, pieces of music and musicians and these bands, and you will see them travel like move forward. And I think with bands like the Grateful Dead and bands like Rolling Stones and everything, being able to have that longevity and have music that actually still hits years and years later is something that you really don't get from a lot of artists. You don't. And and that's the thing with a band like the Rolling Stones is a perfect example because they're much more mainstream than, say, the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still yet, yeah, I saw them a couple years ago in Miami at uh, – where the stadium where the dolphins play mm-hmm. and it's packed and they do a, they'll do a worldwide tour. They're all on their seventies. They'll right. do a worldwide tour selling out football stadiums. Think about that for a minute. You know who nowadays can do that, but the rolling stones, you know, especially and, as a kiss, maybe, maybe, maybe kiss. if they did a uh, reunion tour, you know, or before the great Eddie Van Halen passed, maybe if Van Halen did, but 
And so here's one more thing. I'm a, you made me think about this. The Grateful Dead are hugely influenced by the blues. Hugely. Yeah. They do covers of uh, Smokestack Lightning and Walk in Blues and, and uh, a lot of great but Love Light by Bobby Bland. They do a lot of great blues tunes. Um, but I'm going to name four huge rock and roll bands. And they all, each and every one of them started off as a blues band. The Rolling Stones started off covering Muddy Waters. That was their thing. You know, the Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers Band, which is a great band. Are They are a blues jam band. And Led Zeppelin, who got sued yeah. by Willie, Willie Dixon because they were playing his music and, and didn't give him credit, you know, line credit on, on their albums. And they lost. Yeah, that was one of the things that took the shine off of Zeppelin for me, finding out they literally just took everybody's music and just like, right, right. no one's going to notice. Like, hey, man, the internet's a thing, it, and it's forever. Uh, but just people notice that. Like, I think with, because I remember watching uh, Cadillac Records. Sure, great movie. Uh, yeah, and learning so much about how prodigious Little Walter was, and like just in going back to that that blues lifestyle, these guys lived hard. Yes, like sir. Robert Johnson dying at twenty seven wasn't as big as a anomaly as we would like to think. Like now, the twenty seven club is pretty much you know in the pantheon of great artists. But these guys he, were fighting. He's the original, though. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And the story behind it, I don't think there's there's been so many legends about mm-hmm. artists and the one that no one seems to even refute or even push back on or have any problem with is hey this guy just went to some random crossroads in Greenwood Mississippi sat sold got made a deal with a Faustian deal with the devil mm-hmm. and then that's it yeah and I, you listen to some of his music and you just hear like, man, this guy is really good. And you have to be a connoisseur of guitar music. A, a someone who is di- has di- dive dove deep into that realm to really appreciate what he's doing. Absolutely, man. And, and to, to have done it when he did it, um just uh, the the massive influence he has had as a guitarist. Uh songwriter on huge names in in blues and rock and roll is again we could do an entire podcast on that alone um just absolutely absolutely brilliant amazing amazing stuff and he's he's the godfather of uh of electric blues and um which led of course to rock and roll and i'm gonna go ahead and say this right now I'll say it loud. Elvis Presley is not the king of rock and roll. I'm sorry, but that title belongs to the likes of uh, like Chuck Berry, uh, mm-hmm. Little Richard, um, perhaps even Buddy Holly belongs in that conversation. And and you know you can almost argue Muddy Waters. Oh yeah, you'll get an argument from there me about Elvis's. Uh, I think it's just it's a easier to put his face on it. Um, I think one of my favorite blues musicians was Lead Belly. And the study, this, this, the story behind him was, and he's great in, in not just blues, but folk blues, which is not as deep, but he was in jail for murder. 
And Alan Lomax found him. The same right. Alan Lomax that found Muddy. Right. And so, his song, like, he was actually very political. He made essentially a diss song about Hitler. He talked about World War II. Um, he talked about uh, socialism, socialist issues. And one of my favorite songs that I, if I'm ever dealing in a bad situation I listen to is uh, In the Pines or Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Mm-hmm. Where did you and sleep? great oh, oh my gosh and i remember youtube and watching nirvana kurt cobain cover it on their unplugged and i was like kurt if you don't stop doing this shit like stop it don't no leave this <laughs> one be i i love kurt love nirvana one of my favorite bands of all time that's not a song you can just play nah like you the the and if even if when you listen to that song digitally you hear like that the way the song comes in, you know this song is for serious. This is something that you're you're sipping hard, hard whiskey to. Absolutely. He was Lead Belly was essentially the Johnny Cash of acoustic blues, of blues, you know. Perfect. He, yep. They they're really one and the same. Uh Cash never did any prison time, so to speak. Probably should have. But uh, you know, he he was of that same thought process as lead belly and, you know, Johnny cash lived hard just like lead belly did. And, and he just kind of went the kind of folk country route, if you will, mm-hmm. with the, you know, he's the real godfather of grunge. If you think about it, um, Johnny cash, the, you know, the, yeah. FU, the society and everything else. And lead belly is very much the same. And if you're, if you're big into acoustic blues, like you say, um, I assume you're a fan of Keb Mo, who is just, amazing i'm not i have to get i'm i'm gonna look into that i'm telling you i'm gonna be sending you a request for all of these guys um it is definitely something that that genre has been able to and not just inspire but drive because you see the benchmark you see the benchmark of a honey boy edwards of a sun house you see the benchmark of a muddy water you see what they did and so i feel like the people who really get into blues and blues performing they don't play around with it like i have a bunch of friends who are djs and a bunch of friends who try to produce and that's something they can dabble in and out of like few take it really seriously because it's a it's it's a and I love electronic music, but it's it's a genre that allows people to dip their toe in and dip out because sure. you're, there's not as much storytelling in it. Blues right. is not that. You have mm-hmm. to have a story, and even if it's not the most dire of stories, you have to you have to. There's no lying in the blues. Nope. You're right. absolutely right. There, it, you you have to be open and honest if you're going to get any leeway with it because these people here did it and that was a way of life. They did it for, hey, we'll feed you and give you a place to sleep and we'll give you a $50 tab. Bet. <laughs> like, that's right. what they did it for. Right. Exactly. We'll give you, yeah, we'll, we'll feed you and yeah, throw you some money and give you some, give you some booze. And that's it, you know? And, it, and it's true. And it's the mark of a great artist too, when you're believable, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care what genre you are. If you're believable, yeah, I, I know there's fans out there of, of um, American Idol 
and, mm-hmm. and the judges are always telling you, you need to be believable. And that's so true. And, and when you live like, like these guys have uh, that you've mentioned, it, you, you have to believe them. You feel it, you know, they don't even have, some of these guys don't even have to sing the words, just the music alone. You're like, Ooh, ouch, man. You know, I feel that I've been there. I, I know that feeling and I don't even know what the words are yet. I think you know? a lot of it too is that you have a lot of these guys playing the same songs, but they're playing it, and even if they're playing the exact same notes, they're playing it in so many different ways mm-hmm. to where you kind of you you respect it. Like okay, like you that's why you see a lot of blues cover bands, but the really good ones like yeah, dude, like that song just hits no matter who, as long as they're and you can tell if someone's playing it, you can tell good barbecue and bad barbecue from before sure. you invite it. And I think that's what blues is. Absolutely. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Man, this has been one of my favorite conversations. Thank you so much for doing oh. this. This is, yeah, we did, we got 65 minutes out of this. This was great. Uh, your story, and I definitely want to dig in more of your stories about living in Key West and everything. Um, yeah, man, we should definitely get together and hang out for sure. This has been great. Thank you, Mr. Soloff, uh, for welcome. coming on. Thank everybody for listening to Cast.